Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. report and my name is Kevin McDonald and this is live on YouTube and Facebook so I hope that uh, you are involved with that if you are and you want to uh, comment you can just log into the comments and and if you want to ask our guests a question you can certainly do that today we have one of those shows that I'm just sorry an hour isn't enough time but we'll make do with what we got and uh, I want to introduce first of all Eric who is a regular on Wednesdays with transit transients and uh we talk about um life life in the fast lane of being on the streets of seattle and other other fun topics like that and uh i want to introduce uh tyler edwards i met tyler um actually we haven't met in person yet but i met him because he uh was kind enough to drop me an email telling me that he liked the premise of what uh, or what uh, my independence report does and what we're about and and the positive talk and all of that stuff and so i just had to have him on because he has an incredible story all by himself but before i introduce him let me introduce eric eric how you doing man i'm doing well kevin thank you thank you i i know you've done a little bit of research about our guest today you're excited to have him on aren't you oh like you said an hour isn't enough because this is terrific this is terrific. I mean, what a broad range and applicable, you know, very, very much of the day the subject matter is. It's going to be fascinating. I'm looking forward, Tyler, to to learning about your uh, – it, it, the subject fascinates me. Um, I'll leave it at that. And, and conversation but i've got so many questions <laughs> well that's that's one of the reasons why i brought you along is is so that you could ask questions because you are a budding author and uh, tyler has just written his first um um uh well his, his second book but his first uh non his first uh, I'm, I'm old i forgot to do so. tyler welcome to the show hey thank you his first novel that's what there it is. is yes but but it is a novel with a purpose, and I, I just love—I just love the premise. Tell tell our audience about what you've done with the book, or with the what I'm trying to do. Let's do that. Let's talk about the book first, and the okay. purpose behind the book, and what you're doing. And also, we can talk about the book that you wrote ten years ago uh, that was a nonfiction, and then we can get into the real um, important subject of the day, which is, and we'll spend most of the time talking about that, um, which is, of, of course, human trafficking. Um, and, and so tell us, tell us about, uh, well, first of all, who you are and the books that you've written and the purpose that you have and what, what, who, what are you all about, Tyler? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, let's see, 36 or so years old now. Uh, I've been writing since I was a kid. Uh, you're supposed to you know, pay attention in class when they give you the little notebooks and stuff when you're in school. And I decided that those notebooks would be better served writing down story ideas than using take notes, listening to my teachers. So I've been, uh, I've been doing that since I was about five. Uh, and the story ideas I had were truly, truly incredibly bad. Um, so 
<laughs> over the years, I learned from making a whole lot of bad story ideas into maybe making a, a semi-decent one. And so um, I, you know, been, been doing that. So I got into uh, ministry uh, when I started, went to Bible college for that, and then got into ministry. So I started writing in the kind of the Christian world for a lot, do articles and things for that, just because that's a great big passion of mine is, is just sharing the the wonder of who Jesus is and and just how impactful that can be. And then, uh, but also just wanted to kind of, you know, I like playing in both worlds uh, as well. I like dreaming up worlds and stories and characters and developing things like that. And just kind of, I think fiction is a really cool way of kind of putting a message out in a way that is not so overt and declarative, but allows the reader to kind of infuse their own journey into it. I think that's a really cool kind of a thing. So I, you know, I like the, the power of words and of the word that are, that are spoken and the impact that that can have on a person's life or whether they're written and also the, the, the impact that that can have. But even though it's fiction, the, and by the way, we're talking about the book, the outlands um, that is, how long has it been out now? Uh, the basically released part sort of released in December, but mostly kind of released January 23rd. So it's, oh, so it's, it's hot, hot, hot. It's brand yeah. new. It's, it's, that's really cool. But it is, it's, it's a, uh, um, fiction work with a message with an underlying theme and a message to it. What is that? Well, the, the goal of the book, um, kind of the, when I was writing, it's essentially a dystopian story about a world that's gone wrong. Uh, and these characters that are trying to find their way, uh, in, in this world where they don't really fit. Uh, and so it's essentially, the, the message of the, of the book is really about what happens when we lose our ability to allow for differences between us. And we lose our ability to respect people who don't think or act the same way that we do. Because uh, it's a book about a society that is hyper-controlled and hyper-forcing uh, everybody to be into this sort of almost like a caste system, uh, but tries to make everybody conform into the same standard rather than allowing for the the diversity and individuality to exist in harmony that's a, that's 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 a i have to read that book now yeah party <laughs> i'm i'm looking that up on amazon i just dig your protege man i dig where you come from and and the way that you've uh, used your experience as a storyteller and i can tell that it's embedded in you that you're passionate about i would consider it i'm I'll be honest and open with you. I'm not a Christian and we can talk that more. And I walked away from the church for very profound reasons and of which I'm confident you're probably going to cover that today. But I consider, you know, the story of Christ, the story of the Bible, probably the greatest story ever told. And because it's a, a miracle of things, but because of its impact and its real sense of humanity to it, just about on every page. As a writer myself, I have considered the story of Jesus Christ as I make observations as I drive through the city. And, and I can draw, I can already tell by your quick description of your book that that is a story of every man. Yeah. It's uh, beautiful the way you've narrowed down uh, the storyline that uh, sounds like everybody can relate to we all have that journey that that time that we don't fit in hmm. so i'm curious outland it sounds like you're taking a a socioeconomic view on each of these persons and then fitting them into a personal life 
To degree, yeah. I think I did a lot of the a lot of the socioeconomics I kind of built into the world itself. Um, the the characters for me were more um, built around different uh, just interactions and nuances and, and finding ways of just of honoring different people and uh, and just their different attitudes and things and seeing the those different stages of the little things that make us different that you know on one side seems really annoying but is actually really powerful or really significant when you better understand it because some of the people that have frustrated me the most in life have been people that once I really understood them, I appreciated the most. And the problem wasn't that they were frustrating, it's that I hadn't taken the time to really understand their why they behaved the way that they did and what drove their their and motivated them. And when I did, I was like, wow, this makes so much more. And so that it became just so, so rich uh, and meaningful kind of in those relationships when I took the time to really do the work to get to know them better. Um, so the, the socioeconomic stuff, I really tried to weave into uh, the system of the society and the culture of the society um, and, and leave and put some of those things there. Uh, and then, yeah, there's, there's probably a little bit of it, too, within the characters, I guess. <laughs> so does this take place in uh, the United States generally or is there a named place? I, I don't make it clear in the book. Um, it's essentially just in the future when the world has been, for the most part, destroyed, uh, other than a few cities that have been uh, basically protected uh, by a, sort of a dome that they built. And so everybody who's alive in the world at that point basically lives in the cities. And then those who control the cities control everything, because if you don't do what they say, they banish you to the Outlands. And oh, I dig this. that's not good. <laughs> Go ahead. If you're in the Outlands, then you're in the Outlands, and that's not a good place to be. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, I've always wondered, always wondered, because I've always thought that I had a work of fiction in me, but I, every time I would sit down and start to write something, I didn't know where to begin, how to start, how to develop characters. What, for you, what was the process? Was it the characters that came first? Was it the, the world that you built for the, and then fit the characters into it? How did you do it? To, it started with a general idea. Uh, and for me, a lot of the different stories I have come from, sometimes it is a character that starts it off. And I'm just like, I just want to write this person. And so I'm just going to start writing about this person and see what happens. Uh, but a lot of times it's a concept. And so it was the idea of the world that came to be. And then I want, created the, the main character. I wanted to put him in that world and to have him kind of, as his journey goes, help unpack kind of the, what that world is and then to develop those connections and, and those other little nuanced uh, lessons and, and points as I went through. Oh, very cool. Because it, it, uh, it seems to me like uh, in the world that you created, everybody was expected to act a certain way, be a certain way, live a certain way, and do things the quote-unquote right way or the way of the society. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're, are your characters then rebels within that society? Are they, are they trying to be uh, independent of it? Are they railing against the uh, machine, as it were? So, uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, the the old goal of the, of the society, and my, I guess part of the, the statement that I'm making, is that anytime you create a system, there's always going to be gaps and flaws in that system. Nothing will ever be perfectly fit that man makes. Um, and so the idea is that the, and what I wanted to do is even the villain types of the stories, I wanted them to have a twisted idealism, not that they're evil for the sake, not like the cartoon villains from kids' movies where they're just bad to be bad. 
but that they actually believe themselves to be the heroes, that they're trying to save humanity from falling apart. And they believe that humanity fell apart because everybody just did their own thing. And so the only way to keep people safe was to keep them controlled and to tell them what to do. And so right motivation, wrong application, which is where I think a lot of problems come in, in in most societies in life. And so your main characters are people that, I mean, the main guy is someone who doesn't fit. And so there's a group of them called undesirables, which are just people that they do not fit into the structure of society. And so they have no place and they have no way to take care of themselves because they're not allowed to work. They're not allowed to, to do anything because they don't fit into a structure. They don't have an assigned occupation. They have to just find a way outside of the law in order to survive. Uh, and so they're not intentionally rebels. They're just sort of forced into And then, then they're dealing with the moral complexities of I'm doing something that isn't necessarily right, <laughs> but I have to do it in order to survive. So how do I cause the least amount of harm with this and, and that kind of stuff uh, to live? So there is a group. And so in the story, the main characters who are trying to just survive in a world they don't fit get caught up between the oppressive government and a group of rebels who are trying to take down that oppressive government but who are also very deceitful and that. So they're just kind of caught in this world of like, we, we can't trust anyone here, but we got to do something. Boy, boy, you know, um, are you familiar with the term QAnon? I, oh, very vague. I used to be. <laughs> I know I've heard it before, but I'm trying to remember what it means. Well, it, it, it is a movement or a group of people that are described. I picture your book is like down the road. If that, if that, a uh, group of people came to power because then everybody, you have to do everything a certain way. You have to be a certain way and everybody has, is, is involved in that way. It's, it's, it's striking. Uh, and your book is very timely, especially now there's lots and lots of lots of crap for lack of a better term. Um, Cause I'm not a writer. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, Part of it came out a little bit because I, I wrote it. I started writing it a long time ago. And then I went re- through it again. My wife and I, two years ago, uh, adopted a baby boy who is black, and we're both white. And so he's growing up in a in kind of this world where he's not like everybody else, and he's not gonna his his home life looks a little bit different. And so you know we're trying to learn and prep that, but I also wanted to create a a story where there's a hero who doesn't kind of fit. So he doesn't fit, like. I wanted him to be able to grow up and read it and go, hey. There's, there's heroes of stories that, that didn't totally fit either, and that's totally okay. And everybody's got to find their own journey. And you may not look like most people, but that's okay too. Well, I'm really glad that you're, you're, you've developed and are, are leading a uh, blended, what I call a blended family, mm-hmm. uh, because that is going to be the, the norm going forward more than, and that, that is creating a lot of hate, division, and fear of people that are scared of blended families and, and, and racial stuff, and I think it just is is silly and sick at the same time. Um, Eric, do you have a question? Um, I'm sorry, I was caught into the thought of uh, of the story and putting in in your son into that. Um, we were talking about. Uh, I don't want to step in and change the whole. Okay. Well, no, I I just I'm sorry. So so you're good. You're enjoying the podcast. That's I, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to ask questions, but I was I was enjoying it. You caught me off guard, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Here, okay. Okay, fix that. So let's let's now. You are an ordained minister, 
And mm-hmm. are, do you are you do you preach in front of a congregation currently? Yep. Oh, very nice, very nice. And you are located. You're you're back east someplace. Yeah, we're Myrtle Beach, so we you know suffering near the ocean. Myrtle Beach. Oh, that's yeah. rough. And it's a hard so life. You, got, you have golfers. Oh. And uh, surrounded by golfers. Yeah, and crocodiles, that. that kind of thing. I haven't yeah. seen a whole lot of crocodiles. I know we got them, but uh, there's signs in all the neighborhoods. Crocodiles thank live God. here, and I'm yet Ooh, to see one. Thank God. Thank yep. God. <laughs> and you got snakes and spiders and scorpions. I live here for the same reasons that I don't have any of those things. So <laughs> me too. Me too. In Western Washington, we we have garter snakes that we run from them. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> That's about as as awful as it gets here. So so let's talk about uh, your your first book, mm-hmm. which was done ten years ago or so, and that book was was about. Well, you tell us what was that about? Uh, so the first book that I wrote was called Zombie Church: uh, Breathing Life Back into the Body of Christ, and it's uh, essentially a book about what happens when the church takes its eyes off of the reason that it exists, and it becomes about anything else. And so. Uh, utilizing kind of just the, the metaphor of a zombie being something that looks like it's alive and kind of acts like it's alive, but it's really, it's dead. Um, I was just seeing, it seemed like a very fitting metaphor for a lot of the churches that I had seen in places, ones I'd been in, uh, going, yeah, you're, you're imitating something, but you don't have it. And what you have is something that is actually consuming life, not actually creating it the way it was designed to. So my question would be like, uh, I was an interior designer for 25 years, 27 years, depending on how you think about it. And every room or every design project, there's an organizing principle. Mm-hmm. Ideas presented, and you build on that concept throughout the project. And what you're talking about is an organizing principle um, for the church, a, a concept. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's probably, I don't better about the different types of concepts and messages that churches would want to portray. See, as a layman, my perceptions of have has all, they all want to present uh, the story of uh, God or Jesus Christ, whatever order they feel that's it, it's important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that when you get specific, one church will have a different message about Jesus Christ than the next church? Sometimes, I guess for me, what I was just seeing is a lot of churches that while Jesus is what they talked about, he didn't really seem like he was the focus. Um, It's, it wasn't, and that's kind of the the point is when the, the reason that you exist, when the reason that you're getting out of bed in the morning, when the reason that you open your doors on Sunday morning isn't Jesus and just Jesus, You've missed the point of what it means to be a church. The church was created by Jesus to be his bride and to, to, to carry out his, the mission that he gave his people. And so when, when churches become about, well, we got to get numbers or we got to get this or we got to do that or we have to. And some of them become so focused on behavior modification and getting people to conform to what they think Jesus should be like, that they actually miss out on actually just trying to be like Jesus. Uh, and, and following that. And so um, it, it's sort of the same thing that you see if you're reading through, you know, the New Testament, there's a group of people there called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were guys that kind of like the weirdly kind of tied it into the, the Outlands component too, like the, the, the main government there. They had the right idea. They looked at the history of the Jewish people and they said, every time we ignored God's word, we suffered. So let's get people to obey God's word. 
And so they came up with the, establishing the, the, a strong focus on the laws. Their mission was to get the people of God to obey the word of God, which is a noble effort. But what happened is over time, they began confusing their interpretation of God's word as God's actual word itself, as if their thoughts on God were the same as God itself. And God himself. And so that, that twist, they infused themselves into it. I think that kind of, that happens a lot in church. Like the Bible says, be holy, but churches go, well, here's what be holy means. You have to do it like this, 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 and this. The Bible says this, and they go, well, we, you got to do it like this, 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 and this. And those things became more important in a lot of people's minds than, than Jesus was. You know, it's being a good Christian means don't smoke, don't chew, don't, uh, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. Right. And that was kind of the, the <laughs> mantra of church. And so it's like, I feel like that's not it. There's something more here. And I think Jesus had a lot more complex and yet also a lot more simple message than that. I, no, I, have, to, I have to tell you, I, I, I grew up in the, in, the, in the Lutheran church and I went to parochial school for eight years and uh, then uh, um, went to Sunday school for 10 years in a row. And so, so I'm, I'm acquainted, and I, but I always get into an argument with certain people in regards to I believe that whatever Jesus said is the truth and how he put it was divine. However, I get a lot of people that um, that are that are Christian that will that will that as an example, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, when you start talking about the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus said, and that I love your neighbor as yourself, and you take care of people, and you, uh, I would rather a poor man, uh, a rich man can't has to go through the eye of a needle to get to heaven, whereas a poor man, because because he was also very much into helping people and to working with all kinds of people, regardless of who they were, tax collectors, uh, prostitutes, and and he he was if with, but. It seems like in some churches it's evolved to the point where they don't they don't look at him as the person that that he is portrayed or he that he was. Um, why is that? Or first of all, is that my misperception, or is that some of that true? And if it is true, then why is it like that? I mean, I I would not consider that a misperception. I think that there's. I think the, the issue that happens a lot of times is not just with the church, but with Christians, is that we would rather make Jesus look like us than make ourselves look like Jesus, because yeah. it's easier. And so when you have a bunch of people bringing their ideas, their agendas, their values, e even just our cultural ideas of, well, I want to be able to pursue money and not feel guilty about it. I want to be able to have this and not feel like it's wrong. We take all that and then we go back, we try to retroactively change or twist or interpret what Jesus said so that it doesn't contradict what we want to believe rather than the radical approach of Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Well, nobody's pursuing that as a goal, no matter how much they love Jesus and said like, oh, cool, I'll just try to go out and be poor because that's a blessing. No one's doing that. And yet that's what Jesus said. Nobody says, oh, Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. It doesn't say, oh, okay, well, let me go make sure I get persecuted. for you. Nobody wants that. And so what we want is, that's cool, Jesus. I'm glad you said that. That'll be comforting to me if I ever have to deal with that. But what I'm going to pursue is Give me more money. Give me more stuff. Give me more this. Let me have all these things that I want. I'm going to rub the magic lamp and have you give me my wishes. And so long as you do what I want you to do effectively, we'll be good. And so when you approach Jesus like that, whatever it is, what you have is a whole millions and millions of different versions of Jesus, none of which are the actual biblical Jesus. And so until uh, you know, you've got a place that says, 
here's who Jesus is. He's not changing for you. It's kind of a take it or leave it deal. You don't get the twist in. Then you, they kind of miss that point. So that's when you don't have that, you have a lot of different ideas as to, you know, what churches think Jesus should be about and do. And, and See, I'm, I'm digging this because you know, I'll, I'll use Christmas for an example, please. I think humans have to celebrate things. And I think um, celebrating Christmas is probably as, as fine a concept as there is. I'm also a big fan of Thanksgiving because, you know, people get together and have a meal. It's as simple as that. But Christmas, man, I, I could tell that you're already laughing. I mean, because that's not Jesus' birthday, right? <laughs> no. I get, look, I get, I'm the guy that like at church says all the things that the church people don't want to hear. And so I get, I get, I call them angry emails all the time. Like if I get through like two sermons without an angry email, I feel like I haven't done my job right. Um, but we, we did that for Christmas series. I was like, as you understand that most of the customs that we do for Christmas are actually rooted in paganism. And the reason we celebrate Christmas in December is not because that's when Jesus was born. December in Palestine is the rainy season. You do not hold a census to travel during the rainy season. No Roman emperor would do that. It doesn't work because you can't do it. And so it's almost, it, it's so incredibly unlikely that Jesus and his family would have been traveling, uh, you know, that Mary and Joseph would have been traveling during that time because it wouldn't be a census. He's most likely born closer towards the season where you, we would celebrate Easter in the August, uh, somewhere in that May to August range. But during the, that time, the the church became the official religion. The Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, right? They couldn't stop people from celebrating Saturnalia, which was basically like the purge. Um, it was not a, it was a pretty nasty holiday. But they're like, okay, so what are we going to do? We don't know when Jesus was born. So let's let's basically use Jesus' birthday to redeem this pagan holiday. We'll make it a Christian holiday. And I have no problem with that. I'm not saying that was wrong. I actually think the whole purpose of Jesus was to redeem. And so that using his birth, that's fine. But when we start to idolize, like, oh, Starbucks used red cups instead of snowman cups, so they hate exactly. Jesus. That's, I mean, I, the I war on Christmas, it. right? Right. It's you know, just, now I don't mean to bash Coca Cola, <laughs> but <laughs> but they were the ones that really changed, you know, Christmas into being an economic thing, right? I guess you know, they get, oh, they, get, they got a guy with uh, looking like Kevin with a big beautiful beard there, and drinking a. Everybody, this is a good idea. You know, giving more elaborate gifts, and pretty soon retail stores are are making their yearly budget, you know, based on their Christmas sales. And they talk about the war on Christmas because we say happy holidays. And man, that, that just seems so twisted to me because it's so far away from the actual concept. But, uh, and yeah, and that's one of the things that I get kind of. I, I try to push with with church uh, with with the people that that I talk to and stuff like that. Is going like, why do you expect someone who doesn't believe what you to believe to behave the way that you behave? And so, if you're mad that someone who doesn't love Jesus says Happy Holidays instead of Merry, why would they say Merry Christmas? They don't believe in Jesus. Why do you want them to? It's not something they believe in. You just want to feel good that they said words that you like. Like, what's the point of this? Like, do you think that Jesus is going like, uh oh, they said Happy Holidays? I'm now personally offended. Like. He's like, I think Jesus is a big boy and he can handle people saying happy holidays. Um, and that I'm maybe glad he said it once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like there's, there's more important hills to die on, guys. Like there's more important things to do. Like, okay, cool. You said happy holidays. Let me tell you about, you know, it's just, I would rather people focus 
on things that actually help people see who Jesus is and what Jesus was like than battle right. over the nuances of religious terminology. And it's just like, you know, the, the Sun Tzu said, you can't win the war if you fight the wrong battles. And it just seems like that's the characteristic of the church sometimes. It's like, we're just like, oh, this is the wrong battle. Let's go fight it. And here's the right battle. Now nah, we're good. Let's just, we don't step away back there. And I'm like, guys, pick different. <laughs> well, you're a breath of fresh air, man. Well, you know, it's, and it's, it's interesting because in the, in the work, in the studying that I've done, Constantine in the third century had a problem. He had a pagan uh, culture and he had a Christian culture and they were not getting along well. And so he kind of had to blend everybody. And so it really was a political decision to try and keep keep the whole or the Roman Empire together and, and stuff. There was also there's also the thing and we don't have time to address it. You have to come back, by the way. Yeah. I, I want to talk it, about Eastern Christianity versus Western Christianity. Oh, I got all oh, but no man. And I'm then the concept myself before you guys are done with it. <laughs> and then the concept, the concept <laughs> of some of the missing stories of the Bible too is is reigning now, because there's I've read you know occasionally that there's another chapter in the Bible that hasn't been released. What a shocker! That uh, developed the concept of developing a personal relationship with God rather than working through the church. Well, you, you don't pay, if you go directly to God, you don't have to pay the church, but that's not true because you're supposed to tie oh, it. Anyway, we're going to go, we're going to go yeah, down. See, see? yeah, we're not careful. So, but because there is a very, very important reason why I wanted to have you on. And it isn't about the book that you've written or the book you've written 10 years ago. It's a mission that you're on now to help, um, helps kids of the world and, and to bring light to something that has kind of, it's been underneath the radar for a long time. And let, let's talk about that. By the way, we're talking with, uh, we're talking with uh, Tyler Edwards. He's an author. He's a minister. He's also uh, working to. Trying to deal with the issue of, I guess, human trafficking, because that's such a, a small thing that one person can totally fix on their own. Um, but uh, really, years ago. Everybody needs a app. Right. You know, just something light and fun to do. You know, it's, it was that or, you know, take up golf and stuff yeah. like. Yeah. Deal with alligators. Yeah. <laughs> alligators aren't worth it, so I'll deal with that. Uh, but yeah, I, I had a friend that had done a documentary on human trafficking and he'd put all the, the, he'd done all this research and come put together all these statistics on just the, the amount of people who are still living in slavery. The average age of children being sold in human trafficking is like eight. Um, and that's to be used as sex slaves. Uh, you know, and you're just like, it all, some of this stuff is like, well, I'm not going to eat for a week. Uh, cause I found that out that knowing that. On the, every year, there's an average of 50,000 slaves being sold into America through human trafficking. Well, it's really? Hold on, yeah. hold on, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are, you, are, you, are you saying the United States of America, 50,000 kids are being sold into our country? Mm -hmm. On year? average, imported into our country to be used as for human trafficking. Yep. Every or year? It's in every major state. You've probably, like, it's that's the weirdest part is every major city's got it. They're in, it's in every state. You've probably seen it and not realized it at some point, maybe on multiple occasions, seen someone who is being trafficked. And that's not all, not all human trafficking is sex trafficking, but it's everywhere. And it's just a question of how much is actually being done to combat it. Oh. Uh, and that's the depressing thing to think about. And just, I mean, 
you know, the, the story my friend did, we actually followed the three different girls' journeys uh, in this and told their stories and the situations that they were in. And it's just like, like you just crushed. And, and, and so I was like, you know what? I just, you know, you can sit here and go, that's terrible. Or you can try to do something. And so that's, um, I guess I chose the latter route because sitting around felt like not worthy of the, the problem. And so what I wanted to do is, uh, is to do something with, with a book, right? So, you know, there's, there's 50 million books that exist and many of them, some of them at least are really good. Uh, so what I wanted to do is I'm going, but what if the book could do something great? You know, there's plenty of great books, but what if I could, the book itself could do something great? And, and so I, I took a dystopian story, uh, which is about a world that's gone wrong, and I wanted to use it to try to help the world that we have become a little more right. And so I wanted to take a portion of the proceeds from book sales, things like that, to partner with it and to use opportunities in talking about the book to also talk about uh, the issue of human trafficking and different things that can be done uh, in that, just one, to have the awareness of going, yep, it's here, and you've probably seen it. That alone is, you know, for me, was a, an earth-shattering mind explosion of information. Uh, but then just figuring out, like, hey, I'll, you know, what can we need to do? There's there's no way, you know, we can say human trafficking is a problem. Great. Let's stop it. Let's find all the human traffickers and arrest them. It's not going to stop the problem because you have a demand. And the law of any economic system is where there's a demand, there's going to be a supply. And so until the issue of demand goes away, there's never going to be an end to it. And so the more we can you know, talk about it, the more we can share pe these stories and help people see and address it, hopefully the more we can decrease demand and thus slowly start to remove this problem from existence. Is it is it true in in your research that there are there are some cultures and there are some people in those cultures that parents can and do sell their children into um, sex slavery? Yeah, it's it's actually it's um, heartbreakingly not uncommon um, as I understand it, and, and a lot of times not in the villainous way that you think, but when a parent has five kids and if they're all starving to death and they want the other four to be able to eat. Selling one allows them to do that. Uh, other times they're taken with through, you know, not, you know, trust, they trust a stranger. Someone says, Hey, I can give you a couple of dollars. You know, so sometimes it's more stolen. Uh, sometimes it is, I'm sure, uh, just coming from a bad place with drugs and things like that. People being addicted to that, using it for that. But sometimes it's just, they're so impoverished. And that's, that was the thing that broke, that makes it even worse. 80% of the, the, I believe this is, I don't know if this, is, there may, this may have changed in the last couple of years, but the last time I looked at it, 80% of people who were rescued out of human trafficking went back into it because they didn't know anything else. It, they'd had no means because they're taken so young I mean, that they don't know how to do anything else. They don't know how to survive on their own. And so they become, you know, in that process, they're kept, usually kept addicted to drugs and things like that uh, to keep them compliant and such. And so they kind of ended up just reverting back because that's all they know. And so the organization that I partner with that, that, that I'm, I'm really passionate about, what they do is they, they take these girls and they, they teach them a trade. Uh, they, they put them in a safe place. They, show, they kind of help rebuild their identity. They show them their worth. They say, you know, you, you deserve this. You need to understand who you are and your value and, and the beauty that you have. And we're going to teach you a craft and a trade so that you can make a living so that when they get out, they can stay out. 
and people that are trafficked they're they're i'm assuming uh, you know better than i that uh, uh their life expectancy is a lot shorter and it's a lot more brutal than than we can even imagine yeah i, I don't know the average for their ex their life expectancies but yeah i can't imagine it wouldn't be a, a massively hard pull on people it would just even recognize like seeing the things on and I have to, I'd have to refresh myself on some of the numbers, but the the price that pe that people will pay, like when you know when people travel, Europeans, Americans traveling to these con countries like Thailand uh, and things like that, and they can go. You're talking about something that we would, you know, you'd spend it to see a movie, and they're spending it to buy a person for a couple hours to use for whatever purposes they want, kind of a thing. And it's it just it's yeah, it's horrible, uh, and the conditions. You know, there's um, there's actually. My friends, uh, he made a, a documentary and then he made a, for, uh, kind of a more developed documentary called Finding Home that's actually on Netflix that talks a little bit more about it. It's got a lot of the statistics and the stuff in there to just show it, but it also shows the stories and has lots of interviews and stuff like that. But really, um, I mean, if you really want to <laughs> unpack it more, that's really, I mean, he's one of those people that's super annoyingly talented at everything. And so it's, it's really good. And you're like, you know what's the worst though? It's like really talented people who are also like really nice, and so you're just like, you couldn't just be a jerk or something because you're like really talented. Like, so not have to like like you and appreciate the fact that you're good at stuff. He's one of those. Um, so uh, yeah, really annoying. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, finding home on Netflix, it's and it's just it's fantastic, and you know, it's one of those things that just. No. Are you are you in communication? Are you actively working with this group that's that's working to help these kids? Yeah, yeah. I've I've kind of sort of with various degrees of um, re regular investment, just because life and ministry, family, all that stuff kind of sometimes doesn't leave a whole lot of margin. Uh, <laughs> but uh, nope. yes, I've been working with them for several years. Uh, for started probably twelve years ago, um, partnering with them a little bit and stuff. And so we're talking about some stuff hopefully this fall. Uh, that we can kind of tie in and work together uh, and things with that. So, yeah. What a good uh, solution to this. I mean, if you had, let's say, Bezos money uh, and, and could uh, spend the next six months freely doing whatever you needed to do, you were the commander, supreme commander of the universe, <laughs> and you had unlimited funds, what, okay. what would be a good solution for this? Um, I would approach it because I usually believe in multiple prong attacks. So um, my, my first would be in dealing with the poverty issues uh, in a lot of the third world countries to reduce the, what else can you do? Um, the parents that are in that situation where it's like the kids are starving or I'm selling them to get that situation out of there by providing enough infrastructure, training, education, and resources for those families, uh, you know, in, in those more impoverished countries to not ever have to take that, make that question. Then you take out all of the, those kind of cases. The main one I think would really ultimately be teaching people is finding a way to, whether it's through the education system or what, to really emphasize the value of human life and the importance of that um, in all structures and societies. Because again, you can't, you can't reduce remove supply if you if you have demand, and so so long as there are men who are willing to say I'm going to give a couple of bucks to this person so that I can have sex with this girl, there's always going to be a problem. And until it becomes 
uh, there becomes a value in the sense of the of the worth of a woman and of and, and her dignity and things like that that it's not just something that you can throw a couple of dollars at to have um, for your own personal gratification it's going to be an ongoing problem and so I mean, it, you got issues you know i mean a lot of it can come through even just dealing with the the rampantness of pornography and how that becomes i mean even like jeffrey dahmer talked about his slope in that process of it started here and it just got worse and worse and worse and uh that's typically the way that that goes and so att attempting to do something build something in to address that issue and to teach healthy sexuality to teach healthy relationships and just i guess human value uh I, I don't know that there is a, <laughs> even with all the resources in the world, part of it is a battle against the human condition. Um, it, it's interesting that you talk about this because um, human sexuality is such a huge subject. And I, I've always been a little bit curious about it in this way. It's not of my knowledge that uh, smaller, smaller social systems have deviant, as we, as we perceive, deviant sexual practices as much as more affluent uh, societies. Like um, pedophilia has always existed in the super wealthy. And you would think that the super wealthy, you know, let's bring out uh, maybe a Chinese emperor. And to be fair, a uh, Western uh, emperor, a king who both like uh, children, um, they have all the choices uh, presented to them. So I dig that you talked about, you know, education is human value and what, uh, what effects that might have on human sexuality. That's a fascinating concept. And I remember, uh, I'm just a guy uh, schooled uh, as an average, you know, uh, average American student, but that subject was never married. As far as I know, um, sexuality versus uh, human value, that was never put into one subject where someone could uh, show up uh, to class and, and talk about what that is. And I can see where a minister, somebody in your position, that would bring value that would bring a very real sense to the human existence about our day-to-day -day lives. And I did go first eight years of my life, and I don't recall having that discussion or being aware of that. Now, I'm glad I was eight or nine. I would have picked up on something like that. <laughs> Rather than a, somebody telling me it's wrong to steal. Well, why? Because it's wrong. Well, there's more to it than that. Well, yeah. but that's one of the things that in the church that they, they don't talk a great deal about sexual deviancy and why. Well, and, and the fact of the matter is, is that in most churches, they would prefer that that stays home with the parents and the schools not get involved with any of that. But that's a, that's that's a wholly different topic because the. Uh, so you so uh, Tyler. By the way, we're talking with Tyler Edwards. He is an author. He is a philanthropist. He is a. Uh, I'm learning more about you all the time. Uh, he's a minister. He's he's he believes in in doing what's right. He's he's a wonderful human being, and uh, so we get rid of so 
the way I look at it, you can you can attack the supply or you can attack the demand. Now, the easier one to me, it seems to me, would be you attack the supply. You make sure that people have enough to eat. That would be a good place to start, <laughs> making sure people have enough to eat. And then, but the supply side, unfortunately, we we've got enough of. Well, I won't go there, but but we have enough. Well, you know, it, it's a question: Do we write humanity off as always going to be corrupt? Or do we have the ability to relearn ourselves as something uh, greater than that? If people choose that, if the, if if they choose, if people understood, if people begin to understand, but we still have got well, we still have got a long way to go with with women's rights and women's equality throughout the world. That women should be treated exactly the same as men. There's lots of oh no, you can't do that. I don't know. They're just you know yeah. you, you know and stuff. So. Um, um, Tyler, what's your, your take on all this? Well, I guess from, from my position, when you have, and my belief, which is God sent his son, Jesus, into the world. Could have done anything. Right? Any occupation, any task, anything. He came as a teacher. And that, to me, says something very important about teaching and about one of the reasons I like to write, one of the reasons I do what I do is the power of words. And recognizing that but you know you can't just i think it's a lot of times we, we try to address these things but we try to address them when kids are like in a year in years where it's awkward and we don't actually deal with it so until we actually have these conversations in meaningful ways and we embed them as a foundation of our societies uh, we embed them as these are certain inalienable truths for lack of a better word <laughs> or phrasing these are things that we have to hold as true and, and that we that we believe it. That you know, and so for, for me, it's I believe in the word, and the word says that man and woman are both created in the image of God, which means they are of actual absolute same value. You cannot change the value of one without diminishing the image of God. And so therefore, to treat a woman as inferior in any way is to demean God because she is made in his image. And so for me, I have a means of teaching and expressing that to people because if you, you know, you're going through, I go like, no, you can't do that. You're actually making less of God by reducing his part of his creation. And when we recognize that, that sex is not just a, a pleasure act, it's also it's a personal act, it's a meaningful act, there's a lot to it. All those things, but when do we talk about them? We wait until those couple of years when it's funny and the kids are just going to giggle in class. We don't start it beforehand where it can be a, like, I take it to adoption. Like my son, we're talking, we use the word adoption in front of him now because we don't want that to be a bad word. We don't want it to be a weird word. We don't want him to, obviously he's not going to probably make it to high school without realizing he's adopted. I, you know, I, I can blend into snow. Um, so he's pretty, <laughs> probably going to figure it out pretty quickly that that's, uh, that we're, you know, biological stuff is, doesn't work that way. Um, I'm hoping he's fast enough to figure that out on his own. What if we can pull a prank on his teacher? He's not going to buy the story that, He's not going to buy the story that you were once a little black kid. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think that's going to last for very long. So we try to use that language. I mean, he's two, and we're already trying to use that language in front of him so that it becomes a natural part of his understanding. But we don't do that with sexuality. We don't do that with value. We don't do that with what human worth with our with our kids. We just let them we'll let them run around. Let them do their thing. Then we try to talk about it when they're fifteen years old. And they got a bunch of you know hormones running through their systems. Except for most of the kids are already learning about all this stuff when they're like eight. 
is a kid's average first average sexual experience is when they're like eight years old on the internet. So they're learning all about it from essentially your more depraved channels uh, and your your less explained, understood, recognizing the value of ways. And then the parents aren't wanting to deal with it. The church doesn't want to deal. With your, I mean, you're you're not wrong. Churches don't tend to want to talk about it. So I try to talk about it as often as I can just to make them mad. Uh, <laughs> I dig it because I've always considered um, sexual behavior as a form of communication. You know, in its best sense, we're, we're expressing a certain amount of uh, physical affection, mental affection for our partners. So therefore, it's a form of communication. And I think it's uh, as long as, in, in my opinion, as long as it as a moral issue, which most certainly it is, but it's also a form of communication. Until we start addressing it as a form of communication, how to speak to someone nice, how to speak to someone badly, then uh, it may always be an issue. We may always wait or, or expect the family to talk about things where perhaps no sex might have an unhealthy strain and thereby putting it on the next generation and the next generation to these things. Well, you know, if you have 50,000 kids being brought to this country illegally, I'm assuming wow. most of it's illegal, and, and they're being used in the sex trades, that means that we have got an abundance of people who have this weird thing about wanting to have sex with a 12-year-old girl or with an 8-year-old child. or And until we can, and I, I don't know what the answer is to that on how we can, as a society, uh, decide that, no, those people, in my opinion, those people need to go away. But how do we, but, but Tyler, you've been, you've been working at this for a while. And the, the frustrating element is you can't get rid of, you, you know, like what's his name? The, the guy who recently committed suicide, Jeffrey Epstein, mm -hmm. that, that was that was into and 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 <clears throat> there are lots and lots of people that are in his little diary that don't want to be in his little diary that you would know their name if if they you know that maybe a Clinton or maybe a, a, another another guy or or whatever. But how do how do we get people to understand that that people are precious and people are people and kids? deserve to have be able to grow up without all that all that shame and ickiness and and stuff how do how do yes so okay why does god allow that damn it yeah okay um that's a good question there's actually like nine different questions in there so i'm trying to figure out which one um, I, well, all i'm doing is i'm giving you a sense of my frustration yeah at the topic because it is so sad it is just it is just so sad anyway yeah no it's 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 horrible and it's heartbreaking for honestly anybody that has a, i think anybody that has a heart it's broken by even knowing something like that could ever exist not to mention the the ready the regularness with which it does and it, it shouldn't it, it should not happen and to say and i as much as i like the question like what do we do it's also one of those things we have to recognize that there's no, I find a lot of times when people go, all we need to do is this, what they're actually doing is just diminishing the significance of the situation. Oh, if we just did this, it's like, yeah, it's more complicated than that. There's a reason that we didn't just do that and fix it. There are a lot of 
different things that need to be addressed and a lot of problems. But what you have to do is have a starting point. And a starting point, for me, my starting point is the gospel. Uh, and that's, I, I think that the gospel solves all that. It's one of the reasons I believe so heavily in it, um, because of the sense of value it gives for human life, because of the sense of who God is and what God instructs. To me, that solution is everything. To me, you don't solve this without Jesus. Uh, because humanity has been left to our devices for thousands of years, and we haven't really figured anything out all that impressive. <laughs> you know, we've we've done some great stuff, but we still got all kinds of the same problem. I mean, you look back at Rome; it's the same stuff that was happening there. We're still doing it here, despite all of our technological advancements, despite all of our understanding of science. We still do the same stuff. So, humanity has not really figured out a way to fix itself, and maybe that's because left to its own, humanity is not going to fix itself. But what we can do is find some means to have a shared cultural value with whatever that is. Again, for me, I build that around the gospel. You could build it around any number of things, but when you have a shared cultural value, you create a means of teaching and a, creating a culture that says this behavior is not acceptable. And when it's tolerated in that behavior, I think, I, I don't think that you're, I actually think that you're onto something really, very important with the whole idea of affluence versus poverty uh, in that as being a factor. Uh, there's a, remember the name of the book, uh, but essentially the study of it was addressing that apathy is not the result of living in pain and hardship. Apathy is the result of living in the overabundance of pleasure. And so that it's ultimately that we lose our emotional attachment and care for other people because we don't struggle in a significant way enough. But in cultures, I mean, you, you see it in any culture that has been oppressed, any culture that has suffered and struggled, whether it's uh, you, you go to places like Africa where you've got warring tribes and you've got all, there's lots of abject poverty, or you look at like the, the Jews during the Holocaust and things like that. Groups of people who suffer together are so strongly bonded to one another and they hold a sense of certain ideals, values, because you, your survival is wrapped into it and you don't have much time for, <laughs> um, I guess, the the pursuit of, of obscene things when you're just trying to kind of make it make it through. And so, yeah, the, there's there's something to be said about the percentage of affluence being a, a big part of that problem and people getting too comfortable uh, because a lot of it, I think, comes from just people going like, oh, I, I can, so why not? There was a guy, <clears throat> he was a brother, uh, a uh, um, uh, transit driver, and I got to know him a little bit. He's retired now, but I got to know him a little bit, and his deal was... Um, he found that uh, by going to the Philippines, that uh, his dollar went a lot further in a lot of different ways. And one of one of those ways was that he would uh, he would take all his vacation and and uh, take a leave of absence, and he'd go down to the Philippines, and he'd go into a bar, and uh, he because he was an American, he was an older rather ugly american even to boot and uh and because he could do all that he could get young girls to uh who were looking for for money uh and he could do that all day every day that he wanted to and it was he he I, being close to him made my skin crawl but at the same time there's a lot of those because the money is the great equalizer and, and the people who don't have it will do anything so that they can eat or they're feeding their children or they're feeding their their younger brothers and sisters or their dads are putting them out there saying that you have to do that so we need to figure out the economic system i in my opinion 
before we can move forward with a, a morality system. Because if everybody has enough to eat and everybody is le leading a life that they want to live and want to lead, I think some of this stuff will go away. Don't you think? I'm hoping. I would think so. That's why I kind of think I think on that multi-prong attack kind of approach is if you do one, then the other just seesaws over. But if you if you can hit them both at the same time and and up this a little bit and then deal with this a little bit and then kind of do it in that, keep keeping a balance kind of on either side of the issue, then I think you actually create improvements. But it's one of those things that you almost have to, if you think about a boat, right, when it's going one way, it can't immediately be going the other way. It has to turn. And there's a turn radius to it. And so you almost have to just go, let's turn the wheel enough that we can start getting that multiple degrees. And over time, we'll be facing the other direction. But you almost have to take an approach that starts with what can we do right now? What's the little thing that we can do to, to add this, to change that something? And then try to build momentum from that turn so that, that you know that one degree turn becomes two degrees, becomes three, until all of a sudden you're, 180 degrees the other direction and you know you can only do what you can do and i applaud you for doing for for being open about uh um you're, you're gifting money from the book and you're giving what you can on and i'll i'll tell you 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 have me in i'm 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 sitting here i don't look angry but i'm i'm a little irritated that that we have got a situation that is that is fifty thousand people there are i just don't even it's just it, it's just so anytime you want to come on and use this platform i'm yours anytime that, that anybody that, that you know that wants to talk about human trafficking you want to come on this platform i'm yours and and if we can raise money together doing that any way that we can i'm i'm all in that's awesome yeah, yeah i love Thank it you, that's Tyler. that's the biggest i mean to me you know you, you think about how do you change the you know the old adage you know how to eat an elephant one bite at a time how do you change the world one person at a time that's all you can do you can't you can't win the battle for hearts and minds with full-on systems and overhauls and massive approaches those are important but it starts with changing one person's life each day changing one make a difference in one person and if you got one becomes two and two becomes four and that multiplies out like my dad taught me that economic lesson when i was a kid he goes you know if I give you a million dollars a day, or I give you a penny today, and I'll double that every day of the month, which would you rather have? And I'm like, I want the million dollars. And he said, nope, you're wrong, and you're dumb. I said, okay, cool. I was like, <laughs> you know, I was five or so, so I was, I felt real good about that. But, and then he, he showed it to me, how it all worked out. He goes, yeah, that multiplication, though it starts so insignificant, that one penny is meaningless. But when you continue to grow it and to build it, it, it makes a huge difference. Jesus called that process discipleship. Uh, it's, it's replication. Uh, but if we can do that, if we can make a difference in one person's life and they can make a difference in one and then he just keeps moving on, then, you know, the next generation, maybe this is an issue that they don't have to face the way that we do. Well, speaking of which, the gospel according to Gene Roddenberry, are you familiar with that? I'm not. <clears throat> he's, he's the uh, gentleman who developed Star Trek. Okay. Okay. Yeah. In the 23rd century, they have automated everything that we don't need to work. Nobody has to work so they can pursue what their heart's desire is and their, what their passion is. And they found that 
that well in in fantasy land they found that crime went down that racism disappeared that everybody was interested in working with each other because and working collectively for the good of all and that's where we need to go and that's that's you know if we can get there we'll if we can get there in my lifetime i have to live to be 300 years old as you know but the, you know but what you the can hell? do it man why not <clears throat> Absolutely. By the way, we've been talking with uh, uh, Ryan or with uh, Tyler Edwards. He is an author. He's a, a minister. He is working to get rid of. I, you know, you're the first person I've been doing this show for 18 months, and I also did positive talk way back when. And you're the first person that I've ever had on who can intelligently talk to me about human trafficking because it's one of those dark little secrets that nobody wants to talk about. And and um, it, I don't know, Eric. What do you think? I I I'm 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 irritated now about my fellow man. I'm astonished that there's fifty thousand people a year. You know, I, I'd always heard that there is, you know, going on because you hear about an article in Seattle. You know, every couple and it involves two three hundred people, and I assume that was happening in you know other parts of the country, parts. But I never imagined it was 50,000, and you take that across over to Europe and Asia and, and Africa, and holy smokes. It's, uh, well, Mr. Edwards, it's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Depressing. I, I spent about a week in that. Like there is, So I'm, I'm part Irish, uh, which is also really good for being a Christian because the Irish instinct and the Christian instinct are always the opposite. Um, so my... <laughs> My default. Well, they have wine, I, though. Sacramento wine. That part, that part <laughs> doesn't say. But you're not supposed to drink too much of it, and so then you get back into your your uh, war with yourself. But uh, <laughs> the, yeah, my my default solution in the the Irish part of me is I don't like this. Let's punch it. Let's punch it a lot. Um, and there's certain things. That's bastards. <laughs> so I spent about a week in the. I just give me someone to punch after, after finding out all that stuff, and then. Uh, I went okay. Let's uh, let, let's figure out something else because that's not going to be that's not <laughs> going to be the approach. And, and and so here, so this is the thing that really to to give it that extra little twist that made it worse for me. Um, it's I guess the the term for it is sort of sympathy for the devil. Um, but you think about someone who's buying another person to use for their own personal gratification. You think. How hard, how unloved that person must be, that that's the only means that they can come up with for taking care mm -hmm. of themselves. That their needs are not being met in a healthy way. That their relationships are so unhealthy. That their life has been filled with so much darkness and pain and hardship or whatever it is that they feel like that's an acceptable outlet. And it just kind of goes. And my heart doesn't just break for the the victims of this. It breaks for the fact that there are people who are so broken in their own life that they don't recognize how bad this is. Um, and that just makes it worse because I'm like, I don't want to feel bad for you. I want to punch you. But there's there's some healing that needs to happen there too. Um, and that's that's the the hard part is you know I think for me at least a lot of times there's a part of me that just wants to go, okay, you're the good guy, you're the bad guy. I beat you up, and then you're happy, and we're all good. And it's just, I think life is so much more nuanced and so much more complicated than that. And that a lot of times the people who are causing the hurt are the people that are hurting the most. Um, and I mean, I think, you know, 
it's what they teach us about high school bullies, right? The high school bullies are always the ones that are, you know, they have the worst home life or something like that. And I was just like, well, looking at all those people that beat me up, I'm going like, cool, you must have had bad home lives because uh, you were you were horrible in high school. But you know, then you recognize just man, there's so much like, I, I, you know, you think of Martin Luther King and uh, his uh, Dr. Martin Luther King when he's saying, you know, hate can't drive out hate, only love can do that. And so, eventually, you know, if we if our approach to being angry, or, you know, seeing things that are terrible is to be terrible to the people who do terrible things, and we're just putting more terrible in there. Uh, so, I don't know. I'm rambling. <laughs> no, you're 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 absolutely right because you've heard of the seven generation theory, right? I have. Where where the misbehavior started generations ago and it goes from generation to generation because that's what they were brought up with and that's what they know so the abuse continues the disempowerment continue continues we have a a listener who wrote in uh, not only unloved but disempowered uh no self-authority or confidence and and all of those things are learned behaviors from what happens as you grow up and so we not only have to change the behavior of the people that exist on the planet today we need to change that so that the generations in the future can be empowered not to not to go down that rabbit hole again <clears throat> and it's it can be a seven generation deal uh to get rid of hate division and fear wherever heard that before um, to, to get to make people feel really good about who they are and can live life more authentically and more real and, and not not feel like they've got to hurt another person or they've got power over another person and and that makes them feel alive that can't make them feel good but it makes them feel alive um, so maybe it begins with parenting I mean I couldn't agree more you know couldn't. like you have a baby and they don't like so I mean we, we adopted we had to go through a lot of training for our adoption but you get to the hospital, and then the baby comes, and they go, here you go. And I'm like, okay, so are you guys coming home with us? Or is there a training <laughs> manual for this thing? Like, but we were talking to our friends that, you know, you know they, they all had, you know, natural natural babies um, in that way. And they didn't have training for it. They're like, we just have the baby, and they send them home. And there's nothing. And it's like, there's no required classes for to, to be a parent. There's no required training. There's, I mean, not that you necessarily requiring them is the way to do it, but it's not even all that offered, you know, like people, where would you go to find those things? And so having resources for parents on how to, you know, how to love your kids well, how to break a cycle of violence that existed in your own life. Because most, you're right, most abusers were abused. Most people who are, most people who are fighting and trying to control others are people who feel powerless themselves. And they're trying to address the, what's missing in their own life externally. So maybe in, in addressing parents and, and, and teaching parents and, and showing parents a, a better way you start to kind of shift that culture over time. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly because, because one of the things is, is that see my, my mom and my dad, my, they got married. My mom was 19, 19 years old. My dad was 21. My sister was born when my mom was 21. My dad was 23 and they were supposedly going to be parents of this child and they were still children themselves. And so they had no earthly idea. So all the things that, that they had been exposed to when they were kids came roaring back because that's all they knew. And we, we need education. We need empowerment. We need people to, to help. This is, you know, this is going to be a bigger project than just you and me, um, sir. We need, to, sure. we need to incorporate everybody in the planet for this. Yeah, yeah it might take more than, more than two people. Or three people. Four people. 
Yeah. We might need like six. Once we got six, I think we got it done. <laughs> six is good, Dover. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Tyler, I, I would love to keep you for hours and hours, but I, I could talk to you forever. But I know you're a busy man and you got stuff to do. So um, I'd like to thank you for coming on. And before we let you go, is there anything that you would like to, to add? Um, anything that you'd like to tell our audience? Uh, well, first, thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to, to both of you and, and meeting e-meeting you uh, through the uh, through the online services here. That so um, I appreciate that. Um, I guess in the uh, that was something I was saying. One, thank you for taking the time to to listen to the rambling of of whatever random things. I wished everybody rambled like you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, you seriously, know, you got purpose, man. It's you a breath that, of fresh air. You, you have purpose and you understand it. Well, thank you. I, uh, I guess what I would say is that we have we have this life um, to figure out what we're going to do with it, and you can live for a moment and do whatever feels right in that, or you can live to make a difference, uh, to leave the world a little better than you found it, and to to show people something that maybe you yourself never felt. And so for me, I guess the one thing that I would say uh, as someone who, I mean, I grew up, uh, I was depressed for years. I then the school years were rough uh, <laughs> during that time. Just going, how you feel and what you do in this life is a choice that you make every day. And you can choose to be someone that blesses others and makes their day a little bit brighter, that encourages them. Even if your day isn't perfect, you can do that. Or you can choose to be the rain cloud that comes in and pours on them all the time. And, and that's your choice. Uh, and you can justify it however you want. You can explain it however you want. But at the end of the day, you're actively choosing to be someone who shines light or casts darkness. Awesome. I wish I had said that. <laughs> you can take it and say it was yours. I won't. I won't mind. <laughs> We've been talking with uh, Tyler Edwards. Go buy his book, The Outlands. It is a it's a um, a novel that he's he's put together, and it's it's really good. It's just out now. Is it at, is it at uh, Amazon yet? Yep, it's on Amazon. You can get it. it's got a Kindle version, and then you can get like a like a paperback version uh, ordered there. That's that's just an awesome. audio book for it. So we'll see. That's going to take some time. <laughs> I'm looking up Zombie Church. Hey, I know a guy that does uh, some voiceover. So yeah. if you'd like a tip on a guy that can read a book very, very well, to share that information with you. Here's a hint. He wears red. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. I would be, I would be, if, if, if you want me to, I would be honored to voice the book for you and I'll do it for nothing. Oh, wow. That's, I might have to talk to you about that. So <laughs> I'll do I'll do it. I'll tell you what, I'll do it for uh donations for your charity. Even better. There you go. There you Even go. better. <laughs> so so that's that's awesome. So thank thank you again, uh uh Tyler. You have and, and and give your wife a hug uh and give give your, your son. It's a son, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, and next time you good. talk to your dad in whatever manner that you talk to him or think of him, uh tell him I said hi. I think you did. <laughs> I think he did. He did an amazing job with you. Yeah, he's he's a I good he's a good one. Yeah. I'll uh, I I kind of I have to struggle with that of going like man like like it's so many people I talked to had had rough childhoods. And I'm like you know what my parents couldn't have possibly been better in a way, any way that I can imagine. So I was, I got the parent lottery I guess. So 
But they left you with a little bit of the Irish, didn't they? Hmm? They left you a little bit of the Irish in you, didn't they? Your parents. <laughs> Sorry, my feet's cutting out. <laughs> oh, that's right. It wasn't that funny. Ah. <laughs> I I laugh, just, all I heard was laughing at the end. I was like, oh, man, I missed the whole... Just giving you a little bit of my Irish accent. You know. Oh, that's good. Can't go wrong oh. with a good Irish accent. Yeah, well, that's a last name like I've got. You've got to come up with something, you know. So you're not wrong. <laughs> so thanks, thank you, thank you, uh, Tyler. You have yourself a great day, and you're welcome to stay and enjoy as long as you want, or you can just uh, opt out of the meeting. It's up to you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I better get out of your hair so I can get home and see the wife here. There you go. Oh, see, it is time for you for the to do that. Yes. So later, yeah. yes, take care of yourself. We'll be I in touch. Have a great day. Thank Pleasure you so much you. for having me again. Oh, you betcha. Bye-bye. So, Eric, what did you learn from that discussion? I learned that I've got a lot of thinking. Man, that guy can generate some concepts, you know? It's gonna have my mind buzzing for quite a while. He hit a lot of topics, a lot of deep, rich topics that uh, are going to follow follow me around for a bit, you know, because I see so much every day. Exactly the things that he said, and it was it was uh, shocking to me, not only the number, but when he said, you probably see it, and you may not recognize it for what it is. Oh, and man. I imagine. You know, when I'm driving around the city, I've probably seen it, didn't recognize it for what it was. Oh, just, it's scary. It, it really is frightening that that there are there are people that on and you know Seattle being a major port, uh, along with Portland and San Francisco and and probably L.A. would be uh, a major entry point from uh, Asia and yeah. of of kids that are coming over here and. Are being are being abused and being trafficked. So yeah, like every couple of years, we catch wind. Of, you know, they've got uh, a storage container that's holding forty Chinese people that have been smuggled into you know the the United. And we know that if they're smuggling people in, that there's trafficking involved on some level. We just know that, especially when they open up the container and none of those people speak English. They're not prepared for coming over here. Yeah, that's that's right. I don't. I, some of them, I think, get sold um, a song about about how wonderful America will be and so forth, and they can make a living here and and stuff. But I'm I'm sure you're right. I'm sure a lot of them are brought here either against their will or they're not. I've also been told, and now that I'm thinking about it, that that in a lot of cases they'll come with their passport and, and with their papers. And then when they get here, they get their papers taken away and told that they have to go to work and they can go to work in, in with, you know, in the sweat uh, places where they don't, they have to work all the time and they don't get to go home. They, they live there and they work there and they are literally slaves. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a hell on earth, man. And that, that's in the United States of America. It's, it's hard right. to believe that that, 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 that that's why when he said 50,000 uh, people a year come to the United States, it's like, huh? What? Yeah. You're kidding. You're kidding, man. We should build a wall or something. <laughs> 
Yeah, to keep to keep us in or keep our, you know, we and 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 I don't know, I don't know. So, uh, but he 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 was a lot of fun to talk to. And uh, man, I dig that guy. I hope he comes back. Oh, what, uh, what a breath of fresh. And I'm serious. I I will. Uh, um, anytime he wants to come back, we will we will do that. and We'll support his work. Um, and to support the, and I love the concept of not only uh, saving kids from um, being trafficked, but also giving them, after they've been rescued from from being trafficked, giving them the tools to live, um, uh, to find a job, and so that they can get, they can not go back to that lifestyle because that's all they know. You know, it was interesting because I saw the conversation that you had with uh, Coriel. Coriel came one of my yeah. yeah, one of my one of my favorite peoples on the planet. And she was talking about the Great Dane that had the dark shadow on its joint, on its hip joint. Correct. Front shoulder. And on its front shoulder. And she was talking about how she communicated with and it was a leftover. Oh, for lack of a as I understood, it was a leftover emotion from a human. Could be, yep. And she had to communicate directly with it to get it uh, healed or sent on its way or decimate some. Correct. I was thinking of that conversation as we were talking to uh, Tyler because we talked about uh, seven generations. And his approach, what I really dug about our conversation with him is that I never got a sense of the physicality of, even though we talked about uh, sexual deviancy to sexual issues briefly, we didn't get into it too deeply, which is certainly a physical manifestation of being human. But I never picked up from him uh, that it was completely a physical transaction, that um, there is a spiritual approach that transcends our bodies. And I think that was more the way he spoke. And I just dug that. I just dug that. Um, because you can see, rather than just being human, where we're stuck in this, uh, I shouldn't say stuck, where we have this body and we communicate to, the, to this body, that his... Uh, his view of humanity is that we have a body, but our spirituality speaks for us. Correct. And thing, what a beautiful manner for someone in his position to have. And he, I've rarely encountered that. He is, uh, he's a minister and he's got a congregation in, in Myrtle beach. Is that North or South Carolina? Which one is that South Carolina? Um, I don't know. I'm not a golfer. It's <laughs> a golfer. Okay. He would know. Okay. Well, some somebody will know. It's on the East Coast anyway. Yeah. And and, and they have to, to do what he's done, in addition to the fact that they they're a white couple who he is a minister in talk about excuse the expression, but talking about a man with balls. Uh yeah. in Carolina to to um um um, adopt a black child and as a white couple, and he's a minister uh, at the same time. 
I, he, he, he clearly doesn't care about some in his church that might find that objectionable. And talks about Christmas. Yeah, and and in a real in a real way that and he's and he's absolutely right. And there are there are people who will not. Uh, by the way, if you're just tuning in, um, what he said what he said about Christmas was that Christmas probably did not happen on December 25th. That it was an invention of Constantine, um, to who's a Roman emperor, and that uh, uh, that. The December is the rainy period in Palestine, and the whole thing around the uh, birth of Christ is that they had to go to uh, answer a census, so they had to go to uh, Bethlehem to to answer a census because that's where uh, the, their their lineage was from. And uh, he said it probably didn't happen that way because that's the rainy season and nobody travels in December there, so it probably happened sometime in the summer. That, that Jesus was born, and that makes actually makes a lot more sense, anyway. But and nor should it matter. But uh, and but your point was well taken on on if if it's Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, who really gives a flying you know what? And you know, and I, I'm also concerned about the reality of what it is that we celebrate. I think uh, words matter, and I think you know some facts matter. And one of the ways that we get away from facts and, and words is when, for example, and I, you know, I don't mean to continually bash on Christmas, but uh, Christmas is completely made up. And as generations go by, we add a little bit more that takes us away from whatever the reality of Christmas is supposed to be, you know, the celebration of uh, the birth. And it's moved so far away from that where it's a, a thing of commerce as much as it is the celebration of his birth. And pretty much, and I, I'm not saying that any kind of over-exaggeration, our economy depends quite a bit on Christmas now. Sure it does. Sure it does. Black Friday, and from Black Friday on, from Thanksgiving yeah. through the Christmas holiday, that is, if, if retail stores... By and large, that's when they make most of their profits. But if you think about it, Valentine's Day is the same thing, and to a lesser extent, uh, we have got all kinds of St. Patty's Day, uh, Cinco de Mayo. All of these are designed to generate business activity, rather than because nobody gives a crap about about the Mexican uh, uh, independence. That's not even the correct Mexican independence, isn't um, it? Really? No, there's a. <laughs> it, oh Cinco de Mayo is, is it was an invention of somebody, but they're, they're well in, in Mexico. There have been lots of Independence Days because yeah. they, they've been conquered a bunch, but uh, that's not the the the, the major one. Um, but it's you know the fifth of May, and and it fits nicely because if you think about it, there, there's Easter, and then there's nothing until Memorial Day. Hey, let's put in something right in there. I'm sounding a little cynical, but let's put something right in there in May, shall we? You know, so what that's, you know, Cinco de Mayo works. And, and correct. Fourth of July, you know, we spend a lot of money for Fourth of July. Yeah. Well, now, Fourth of July, because of, it is our, it is our Independence Day that that's, that's, but, but, but Labor Day, Memorial Day, Father's Day. Well, Mother's Day is a big one. Father's Day, not so much. My kids remember that I'm their father, but they don't remember what day Father's Day is on, apparently. Because uh, 17th of June. I, I I don't even know because they don't know either, and nobody's ever given me a damn thing on Father's Day. Oh, uh, oh I know. It's
it's terrible. <laughs> but I've given stuff to mother on Mother's Day. Absolutely. If I ever want to, you know, that, like, yeah, you you had to do that. that, that yeah. was a, but, but why is that? Why is why do we honor Mother's Day more than Father's Day? Because mothers are more important than fathers. That's what I hear. I I'm not going to argue that point, but uh, we certainly honor both parents. Well, you know, I, I tell you, um, when you, uh, you know, I, and I really love, by the way, I, I, I don't know. Have you been listening to some of the uh, interviews that I've been doing? Yes. I tell you, uh, but did you listen to being uh, the strong man a woman wants? Did you listen to that one? Um, I did not get to that one yet, but that's on my list to listen to. He is he's he's quite it's quite a unique guy, and he's right. Uh, you know, so listen to that one. Women want. Oh, and, and yeah, <laughs> go. Oh, now Susan's got a little bit of an attitude. Uh, so. Susan. She, what she's she's somebody that just, just she said because we work our butts off for no pay, but she's right. <laughs> <laughs> you no know, argument, no argument. No, you know it's funny because my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and in those days, um, um, in the in the sixties and early seventies, um, most women stayed home to work. Um, and they, they worked their butt off because the, you know, there was a real clear division between men and women. Men went out and they slayed dragons and they brought home the bacon. Women were expected to keep the cave clean, to keep the children out of the man's hair and to, and to, uh, um, try that bacon, fry that bacon and then make him happy in the bedroom and all that kind of stuff and all that. So, you know, I admire, I, I've seen that. You've heard that expression. I've seen that job, and I don't want that job. Yeah, I think that's a that's a Bill Cosbyism, but I can't. I'm I'm not sure. I've seen what that woman does, and I don't want to. I I couldn't do it. Like, <laughs> I, I couldn't do it. I've never had a. I've never had an inclination to uh, have kids. Oh really? Yeah, I, I've never felt that uh, I wanted to have kids. Well, I then, admire people that do. Thank God, kids. Well, if, if, and my my opinion on that is, if you don't want to have children, you should not have children. Well, I could barely take care of myself. You know what am I going to do? I got goldfish, and I'm just when I have clean for them, I accomplish something. I can't imagine having a kid, you know, and having to clean their water every day. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 feed them and and clothe. oh yeah, feed them. See, I would have failed. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> well, and and the bigger part was when I, the the big the biggest part of me raising my children, the most difficult part. I had two boys. Was when it came to they were like two or a little older, and they were still in diapers, and it was it was poop time. That I just <laughs> was not able to handle that. that yeah. No. I, I, did, I did change my share of diapers, but there were a couple of times when I had to call my wife in for tactical support. <laughs> <laughs> tactical support. <laughs> because there was no way that I was going to be able to keep my lunch down and continue to change that diaper. So Yeah, I hear you, man. I hear you. But I admire women because most women are, I tell you, women are tougher than men. I will, and I, I'm sure that... Uh, that the women that are on, on here will concur with that assessment because um, just the 
Um, well, since since you've been married and you don't have children, you don't know what. No, I've never been married. Have you been married? I don't even know. I've never been married. No, I've never been married. No, I can't even take care of myself. I can't be married. (laughs) I was married married for 24 years, and and all but uh, the final 23 were great. Uh, No, I'm kidding. Uh, and so we, you know, I, but she, she worked hard and I worked hard to, for the kids, but it was, it's hard, um, when you don't know, and we were talking about this with, uh, Tyler is when you're, you're a child and you're raising children, you don't know enough to know whether or not, or how, what you're doing that day with that child is impacting them for the rest of their life. You don't get to find that answer out until he's 30 years old. And he says, dad, you remember the time that you blah? And, uh, and I said, no, I don't remember that. And he said, that screwed me up for like five years, um, or my whole life. And, and I, and because we don't recognize that because there isn't, we, we've got so much work to do as a, as a, as a culture and as a people, we need to feed everybody. That would be the first start. We need to feed everybody so that people have enough to eat and then we can concentrate on some of the other stuff, but education, we need to educate people, not in, I'm going to get on my soapbox and then you can interrupt me. Whatever go for it, man. Go for it. Yeah. We need to, we need to educate people in how to do things like, Oh, I don't know. Balance your checkbook. Um, learn how to save money, learn how to do the things in life that we all want to do to to lead a successful life but school doesn't teach us any of that stuff i would rather not do algebra i would much rather unless unless you have a gift for that sort of thing i never could figure out x plus y equals z uh but if if you've got a gift for that that's one thing but we need to teach the kids how to be human how to live how to how to survive in a world that's that's difficult for how to interview I left high school and, and nobody had taught me how to interview. I've interviewed. I was in the rest, I was in management for years and years and years. I've interviewed literally hundreds of people. People don't know how to interview. People don't yeah, know how to present themselves. You're exceptionally good at it. Well, thank you. It's because I've been doing it for like <laughs> forever. Um, but but even interviewing for a job, people don't know how to do it. Um, I should write a book about that. Now that I think about it, uh, but. You know, but the, the, we as a as a society need to start looking at some of the things that that are wrong with us and education, uh, working together on it and 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 being being more together and being more like like that. I don't know. We're all one that we are the same people that we've got, you know, the same DNA that it doesn't matter what our skin color is. It doesn't matter who we love. It matters that we care for one another and we work together. And that's that's what I I got Tyler got me going because he is he's remarkable. Man, I, he is dynamite. I just love that guy. Yeah, gee. Uh, that guy's really like I said, he's he knows his purpose, he understands his purpose. That guy, when he speaks, every word matters, you know. He's not uh, not top there. And this isn't by any cognitive effort on his part. This is who he is. Yes. Well, he and he's he knows who he is and has been working very hard at it. I, I was amazed that the book that he's written, this last one, is kind of like, and it's called The Outlands. Um, look at look it up on uh, Amazon. But it, I'm getting it, it. 
See, he's a, yeah, me, me too. He's a, he's a Christian minister and he's written a book about, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, what, what, what up um about after the uh uh armageddon and after the end of the world and what what is what's left and and uh it's it's a sci-fi kind of thing but it's really it really is interesting i think it would be a really good book to read yeah i dig that uh i dig that he does from the premise of rebuilding a, a society from people that uh, don't know how to fit in in the society that they're currently in Yes. Well, and, and that's, a, that's the thing, is we have got to understand that everybody is different, and we need, every, we're all one, but we all have a different manifestation of who we are. And if we can all just work together on understanding that everybody is unique, and everybody is different, and celebrate the differences, and, um, and you know, and love everybody rather than um, condemn people that believe things that are different than us. It's like your your point about Christmas and versus the holidays thing is really well taken because there are people that condemn uh, other people because of the word they use. If they don't want to use Christmas, they want to use holiday. It, 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 people condemn each other for stuff like that. They go right to the war on Christmas because you claim that you wish uh, some that you don't know what they what they worship. Happy holidays. That's just a, a a thing of goodwill. There is nothing wrong with that uh, with, with that statement. Even though I was speaking to another Christian, that doesn't mean just Merry Christmas. That means Happy New Year, Happy Birth, uh, Happy Martin Luther King Day. You know, it includes everything that's coming forward. Happy Holidays, Happy Black Friday. You know, there's nothing wrong with that statement. No, and, well, and and actually, it's yeah, it's actually more inclusive. Yeah. It's, there are there are people that are Jewish. There are people that are Muslim. There are people that are agnostic. There are people that are atheist, and and they're still people. I don't give it. Quite frankly, uh, um, Eric, I don't give a shit what you believe or what you don't believe, because at the end of the day, we're going to get to heaven, and then we're going to find out what it what it's really about. And uh, until that time, all I want you to do is to take care of the people that you can and to be as positive as you can be. And I know how challenging it is for you to do that on the bus. Although I think you're, you're, you're better than 99% of them, I think. Oh, I don't know about that. I really have my bad moments. I have my bad <laughs> No, you You want don't. me to tell you about one? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't you're, know. You're Anybody joking. from Metro, please turn off your computer at this moment. <laughs> I won't tell you where I was at, but I was at a stop and there was this gentleman that was smoking a pipe. And I'm assuming that it was store bought tobacco, you know, from the grocery store, not, you know, the other stores. And I was letting on a bunch of people, three or four. And I had the doors open and I was using the headlight because it was dark. And this guy was using the headlight to tap out his pipe and he's going at it and cleaning it out and stuff. And standing in front of the bus, and everybody another moment to see what this guy was going to be. Seriously, I waited about one, two, three, and he's still doing this. So I beat my horn, bop, and he, you know, he jumped back and stepped onto the thing. I closed the door and I turned the wheel hard and went around him as he was screaming, "Let me on the bus!" And I thought, well, "Screw you!" You know, this bus is a this is a million dollar pipe, you know, and we got we got twenty. 
waiting to go home and you're cleaning your pipe. No, you. we got another bus coming in about eight minutes. Take that bus. <laughs> this is my bad, you know, that was my bad behavior for that day. I felt bad about it later because, you know, the guy probably needed his pipe cleaned and I got using my bus as a pipe cleaner. Well, um, yes and no, but he was being rude in that he that he wasn't the only one. It was, it was not like an Uber where he's he's you know waiting. You're waiting for him. You had probably what twenty, thirty, forty people on your bus. Yeah, at least twenty. Yeah. And so these people would like to go home now. And how long was he going to sit there? And and besides, if I've <laughs> I've had people when I was driving. I admit, I had a guy that uh, he had a cigarette, and uh, um, I don't let people with cigarettes get on my bus, obviously. And I said, put out the cigarette. So he puts out the cigarette on my bus. <laughs> he, uh, he just he just takes it, and, and, and just right there on the door, he's, oh, he puts man. out a cigarette. It's like, and it's... Uh, I really, really wanted to close the door on him, and and but I didn't. I I'm I let him on. I, I do have a question to ask you though. Yes, sir. Because I've asked I've asked a bunch of drivers this, and and I don't know the answer. I I know the answer that I did, but a lot of drivers uh, do, would not do this. I asked. I was in. For those that are listening, there's some place in in Metroland before you go to work or, or when you come back where you can sit in what's called the bullpen. Yes. Where you can sit there and you can talk to other drivers about your experiences of the day and what's going on and and you can vent about all the crap that happened to you that day and all that kind of stuff. Well, fascinating place, yes, it, it really is a fascinating place. But one time I was I I and this is after the incident and I went to the bullpen and there were like seven seven drivers sitting there and they were all shooting the breeze and I said I got a question to ask you guys and they said okay great. And uh, I said, all right, here's a, here's the scenario. You're on uh, um, uh, Benson Highway, which is a fairly major highway in Kent. And there are bus stops along Benson Highway. And uh, in one bus stop, there is a shelter and there's a bench. And then uh, but behind the shelter and behind the bench, there is a, um, uh, a trench. And it's a trench that, that uh, obviously, for, for water runoff and that kind of stuff, it's about four and a half feet deep and, uh, and stuff. So I'm, I'm approaching this stop, and there's a gentleman who is sitting right next to, he's not sitting in the, uh, um, which I would have thought he would have been, but he wasn't sitting in the shelter. He was sitting on the ground next to the shelter in front of the ditch. And so I stopped the bus and opened the door. And he looks at me. And at that point, I knew he was, they used to call it three sheets to the wind. And that, I'll just say he was just drunk off his ass. Um, <laughs> and, and so he was, he was sitting there cross-legged, and I said, did you want this bus? And he said, well, and he goes, well, I got, and he raised his arm, and then he tries to get up and promptly falls over into the ditch. Oh, and, no. And there's like six inches of water in the ditch. <laughs> And he's lying there, and uh, he's trying to get up, and he can't figure out. And so at, this is the point where I said to, to the other bus drivers, all right, here's where you have a decision to make. Do you, A, 
stop the bus, open the door, call the police, and have somebody get the guy out of the ditch. B, do you stop the bus, open the door, and go get the guy out of the ditch yourself? Or C, close the door and take off <laughs> with the guy still in the ditch. Guess who won? Close the door and go on. It was seven to none for C. So we're yeah. and, and of course, uh, what, what do I do? I stop the bus. I, I breathe just like that. I gave a sigh, stop the bus, put on the brake, go out the door, and then I, I help him get out of the ditch and uh, so that he's lying there on the ground. And then it was like, do you need assistance? <laughs> yeah. No. <I> no. <laughs> so, and this is, this is why, this is the, the, at this point, this is why the other guys left is because now all my passengers are looking at me going, no. No, don't ask him if he needs assistance. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't, don't, please, because that means that the medics are going to come and you can't leave and we're going to be stuck here. And and I, and so I I said, you need assistance? And he said, uh, I, I think he said yes. I wasn't 100% sure, but, but he needed, he couldn't get up. So I couldn't leave him there. So he needed assistance. So we had to wait for the medics to come and the medics came. He ended up being transported um uh to to the to the hospital so i was glad that i did that but my fellow bus driver said well you know you're a sap we didn't just, <laughs> just close the door and gone <laughs> and and stuff and and I, I i i'm sorry it's not in my heart to do that i i you know even even though the guy made choices that he probably shouldn't have made because it was funny because the um when the um medics came and they leaned over at him and, and he said, you've been drinking a little bit? And he goes, well, 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 well. <laughs> but then he had, he had, uh, uh, he had, he had hurt his ribs or something in the, in the fall. So, um, um, or maybe it was when I punched him and kicked him when he was lying there. No. <laughs> yeah. That's a tough call, man. It is a tough call because, you know, we only do so much and you did more than obviously seven people would have done um, <laughs> well then the other time that this <laughs> this happened and this is now keep in mind that this was after this other incident that i'm about to tell you about happened uh there was a guy i was doing driving uh uh up um uh, Be near beacon and there is sidewalk there but the sidewalk is uneven and there's grass pouring between the cracks and stuff and there was a guy that was, had a walker. Mm. He also had been grocery shopping. Oh. He also weighed 300 pounds. Oh. And so I stopped at his stop. He, I lowered the bus. He wanted to get off there and uh, with his walker. And he probably had, oh, 40 or 50 pounds of groceries packed in and around his walker yeah. that he could do it. And uh, so... <laughs> So um, he gets off the bus, and he is, he, the front wheels of his walker get stuck in the grass between the cement uh, and the sidewalk, and he slowly, slowly starts to fall forward and as the uh, walker collapses. Oh, and my so God. He falls forward, and he's lying there with his feet sticking in the air, 
And it was almost funny, but 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 his feet were sticking in there, and he could not get up. He could not move. So again, I asked my fellow bus drivers, what, "Would you close the door and go? What would you do?" And so in in this particular case, I helped him up. At the same time, I uh, uh, tore my uh, uh, by my bicep tendon. Ouch. That hurt like a son of a gun, I do have to say. So, so the next day, I, I, I called it in, and, and I continued to drive, but it got worse and worse, and then I, I got done with my work that day. And I couldn't work the next day, so I went in at 4 o'clock in the morning or whatever to the emergency room, and they said, nope, you ripped your bicep right open and, and stuff, so you're not going to be able to – you're going to need to take a couple of weeks and, and stuff. And so I go to the <laughs> – I go to what we call in Metro, we call a chief. And they're like two two levels up from us. They're supervisors and they're chiefs, and they're the ones that handle all the discipline and handle when you take time off and do all that kind of stuff. And uh, so I was talking with one of them, and I explained what had happened, that the guy fell over and nobody else was willing to help him. So I got up, and, I, and he was heavy, and I did my best to get him up, and then I tore my, my bicep. And he said, well, in the future, don't help him up said okay so so pardon me sir but what would you suggest i do and he said call somebody and said okay so now let me get this straight you want me to look at him while his feet are sticking up in the air and he can't go he can't, and he's crying help me and nobody else will help him because everybody else is sitting on the bus going i don't hear anything do you hear anything i don't hear anything. <laughs> i'm not gonna get involved I'm not, i can't get involved in that that would be terrible i i, I might i might get sued I, I i don't hear anything do you hear anything no and uh and so um, and so I'm supposed to call the police. So I'm supposed to call the coordinator who then is going to say, um, well, is, is he alive? Is he breathing? Well, yeah, but he can't get up. He says, well, um, okay, then I guess we'll call somebody in which case I have to stay for them to get here. And that takes 15 or 20 minutes for the medics to come all just to get him up because nobody else will help him on the bus and, uh, um, and stuff. So, so, I said, no, that's not going to work for me. I, I just assume, you know, I, I, I'll try next time not to, not to rip my bicep. And, but he needed help. I had to help him get him up. So would you now, would you, you, you would have helped him up, right? I may have flipped him over. So, he, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I would have helped him up, but it would have taken. I'm sure if I, I saw what you did, I would have helped him up. I'll just say that. But it, it, I would feel horrible. I would feel like I was doing something wrong. And I'm not blaming Metro at all because I know what they're dealing with. Just society, people go after Metro because they know they're self-insured and they've got some deep pockets for such things. Some pretty good lawyers and they know a case uh, that doesn't stand up in court. They'll deal with proper, properly. But the ones that might have any chance, you know, they're going to be responsible for that. Got a long record of being responsible. So I understand the costs involved. And it costs Metro uh, every time a case comes up, you know, some serious amount of money. So I'm not, uh, I respect Metro for their approach on just call the police and let them deal with it because they're the ones that uh, won't have to deal with of that because we're not allowed to be humans we, you know when we get on that bus we're part of a system 
we're no longer an individual human. So when we step out that, uh, of that identity and, and do are indeed humans and do something against the system, then we are sticking our necks out. And if our biceps are, are um, then Metro feels that they might have a litigious issue with us as well as that person that's lying face down with their feet up. Yeah, and, that's that's true. But but you see, Eric, the thing is, is that one of the one of the reasons, one of the things I've always believed is that that we need to help and take care of each other if we can. And uh, well, and, I've, and and one of the reasons why I'm really happy to not be driving a bus anymore is that uh, people don't care. It's it's. Oh. It, it is it is frightening i have another story i was i was going down the soto busway minding my own business with a soto bus busway yeah yeah the, the, with a bus full of people there was a sound transit bus that was in front of me and there was a a, a lady who was unsteady with a walker that was walking towards the bus stop mm. and the the sound transit bus of uh, um slowed down but it did not stop because um there was nobody at that particular stop except for that lady and she wasn't waving for him but what she did is she had her walker and i could see that her walker wasn't going straight her wheels were were moving towards the uh, curb and then right as the bus rear wheel was passing her, the whole front wheel on the walker went over the curb oh and, she, and she hit the bus and and bounced back and laid on the floor, laid on the oh ground. Oh, my gosh. The bus kept going, the, the sound transit bus. He apparently didn't see her or more likely, in my opinion, didn't want to see her. Because sometimes when something like that happens, it could be like lots of paperwork and and all that kind of stuff. So in any event, so I stopped, and uh, I, of course we're trained not to get out of our seat. And in this case, it, it actually made sense because uh, while this person was lying in, on the ground and wasn't moving, um, I needed to be there at the phone so that I could could um, hit the emergency button and get uh, uh, help on the way to get her help that she needed and nobody on the bus nobody moved nobody got out of the bus and said "Ooh, i need to help that lady nobody was compassionate except for one gal that was a nurse and she came up to me while i was uh on the phone and she said i'm a nurse uh i can help her and i said please do and so she went out there and she helped her but nobody else nobody else moved nobody else uh, wanted to help nobody else wanted to get involved and that's that's i think is a part of our problem with our culture is i once had a guy i once had a guy yell at me uh get really angry because i helped a guy he was having a a heat stroke i was at 175th and aurora at the stop there i was driving the e-line and he was an all you know our age and he was on the ground and he was kind of twisting you could tell he was writhing in pain and his girlfriend was freaking out or who I assumed was his girlfriend, the bus. Cause there wasn't anybody at the stop. And I stopped the bus and I said, is everything okay? And she said, I think he's having a heat stroke. I can call somebody. She said, call somebody. So I called the, uh, I called TCC and said, I've got a guy uh, at our bus stop that's having a heat 
And he said, how do you know it's a heat stroke? And I said, well, his girlfriend just explained it to me. She told me. And from what I can tell, he's having a heat stroke. And they said, okay, we'll call somebody out. Stay there. And I said, okay. And I had uh, two passengers on, a young gentleman, probably in his 30s. And he was very angry. He says, that's none of your business. You have nothing to do with this. I need to get home. This isn't your place to do anything about that. You just drive the bus. Your responsibility. And I just looked at him. I looked at him first in the mirror. And then I turned around. And I almost got out of my seat. And I told him, it is my responsibility. And I left it at that. I just stared him down. I was absolutely appalled. Mm-hmm. You know, that someone would get angry that you help somebody. I'm not surprised at all people would sit there and they probably think that there is a system to this. People use the bus that they're now part of the system. That they're no, you know, we've talked about this before. They they stop their humanity. They become a voyeur rather than a participant in in Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I t- I told you the story of the assault that I that I witnessed and and the response from one of my passengers, didn't I? Ooh, tell me again. Um, I was I was at uh, South Rand Park and Ride, and I was loading up a uh, wheelchair person. And when you when you do that, you lower the ramp, and then they they get on the bus and they turn around, and then you secure the uh, uh, wheelchair to with the straps that are there and stuff. And um, so the front door was still open. And these two rather good-sized young lads get on the bus. And I say, hold on just a second, guys. I'll be there in just a second. I'll take your fare. And they said, don't worry about it. We're not staying. I should have got a good idea about what was about to happen. But they, but I said, well, whatever. And uh, they passed me by. And I'm finishing um, 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 strapping this gentleman in. I turned around. And on the back seat, these two guys had this other young man that was on the bus pinned to the seat and were pounding on him with both fists, both guys. And uh, so I did what we were trained to do, and I went to the front door, and I, I called for assistance, and I opened all the doors. And I and then when I opened all the doors, these two guys got off the bus. Now, I hadn't been back to the back of the bus to see if the gentleman that had gotten beat up on, if he was still alive or what. And uh, as I'm passing by this passenger, she says, oh, stop it. Just close the doors and go They're They're off the bus. And and I and I said, ma'am, we're not going anywhere until I assess the gentleman's condition. I didn't go into all that. I said, basically, I said, we're not going anywhere <laughs> in a rude and abrupt way. And, and went back and talked right. to the guy. And, and he was bleeding out of his nose and his lip was cut and stuff. And I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah. And I said, do you want to call for medics? No. Do you want to call the police? No. And just when I got back to the front, uh, um, the uh, the coordinator called me back. And, and I said, he, he, I've got a guy that he just got beat up on. And the, and the perpetrators are off the bus. They're two african-american males in there and i described them and uh and they uh um and, and they said well go ahead and continue on if he doesn't want to press charges and he doesn't need medical assistance there's not a thing you can do about it so continue on but now on metro's defense on that particular one i did have a supervisor meet me at one point i didn't even know he was going to do it he met me and i opened the door and he said are you okay so they they were actually concerned 
about my welfare after after witnessing uh, that that whole horrific thing. So, it, you know, so so Metro at, at they they do the best they can, but I'm too old. <laughs> I'm too fragile now. I can't drive. <laughs> I, because I'm I'm one of those guys. I'll tell you, Eric. I'm one of those guys that I'll get off the bus and I'll 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 get in the middle of something that I have no business getting in the middle of, and that's probably not a good idea. But I'll do that. It's hard not to. It's hard not to, man. When I get done at the end of the day, I have to go home and watch a sitcom or take in yeah. some humor. You know, seriously, I, I you got to laugh. You know, I have to escape oh. somehow because it, it just. It's unrelentless out there. Unrelentless. It's, a, it's hard. It's 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 a, one of the most rewarding, but one of the most difficult jobs I've ever done. Yeah, yeah. It's very strange about that. I love being. I love driving a bus, and I love seeing what I see every. But it is taxing. It is taxing, and there are times when I have to write about it because it's so beautiful in some way, and then there's times I can't write. Because it's so ugly in some way. It, yeah, it 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 varies, and 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 you know, as much as I like to think I'm a humanitarian and I'm a wonderful guy and all that, there were times when I would lose I would lose my temper as well, and and it's like when the guy when he put it when he put his cigarette butt when he put his cigarette out on my bus, I lost it. I I we, we he and I had a discussion about. <laughs> It's disrespectful, man. It was disrespectful. You know, we had choices. He did, and uh, and he's lucky that he got to ride. So, but anyway, go. But go. By the way, uh, this has been an extra, extra long uh, session because in the first hour we got to talk to a gentleman by the name of uh, Tyler Edwards. He's a extra fun. Oh, that extra fun. He was, he was awesome. And yeah. uh, he is uh, an author. Uh, go look up his book, which is Outlands. And he, part of the sales um, that he uses for that book will we'll go to uh, human trafficking. We talked about human trafficking to a great degree. And we didn't solve anything because it's a, it's, it's a much bigger problem that you don't hear about all that much. No, you don't. We don't. We're, you know, we hear about it every couple of years. But uh Apparently, with fifty thousand people every year being brought in for the children, being brought every year for this, that's a ooh, that's a that's a syndicate scale, man. Fifty thousand children. 50, I'm thousand. most of them, most of them are women and children, are brought yeah. to this country illegally and sold into <sighs> either working or or for the sex trades. And it's unbelievable that, that that we as a society will let that go on. Um, like a bit, like I said, said he he has my full support in any anything that I can do for him. Uh, and so that that's what we did. Uh, talked for the, the first hour, and then the second hour, we're just reminiscing about being a bus driver and stuff. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But it's, it's it's great fun, and I'm I'm thankful that that uh, some of you folks are are still listening, and and I appreciate you guys, and uh, and hope that you will hang out with us and and listen to. I'm putting up more really. I you know how many podcasts I'm doing this week? How many? Eleven. Holy smoke! That's a and, lot. And and the gal that I that I did yesterday that that we interviewed yesterday and um um. 
um, Georgina, and uh, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but but we talked about uh, she is a uh, a gal that uh, um, she does something. Oh, there've been so many. So <laughs> no, she's she's a part of a positive motivational coach, and she's going to be. I'm going to be putting her up on. Oh, Eric just disappeared from from our view. Uh, I don't know where he went. What happened? I I see. I thought you were supernatural. Where did he go? He's he's really gone. <laughs> oh well, it's it's it's. I I don't know where he went. That's pretty awesome. Because uh, did you? If you if you're watching this, you just saw him just disappear. That's 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 Eric. Are you there? Huh. Well. In any event, I'd like. Hopefully, since Eric is is going to be on the show next Wednesday, hopefully between now and then I'll find him. Uh, he's he's somewhere, but he just flat disappeared. I don't know how you do that. Oh, I hear him. <laughs> Susan, I think you're right. He packed it in. He he doesn't have the stamina to do this sort of work, you know. So, oh, he did disappear. Oh, he had to go to the user restroom, I'm willing to bet. Are we feeling better now? <laughs> oh, man. I am so sorry. <laughs> Two hours is a long time for my ladder. <laughs> okay, I'm a bus driver. I, 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 I can go for hours. So. I'm sorry. But, sorry. but you disappeared. And I mean, when you, you <laughs> right ass disappeared, it was amazing. So, oh, I, I sent a text. I'm sorry. I put you a said, comment in there. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. there it is in the private chat thing. There, there it is. Uh, <laughs> it's spelled correctly too. Yeah, you, 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 <laughs> well, almost, almost. <laughs> That's because your hands were shaking at the time. So that's right. I was nervous. Know. All right, all right, all right, young man. Is there anything you'd like to say before we wrap up this episode? Well, it's been fun. Um, really enjoyed it and. Uh, both of his books, you know, I learned a lot in that short amount of time and I dug his humanity and, uh, I've got Christy Fedick, uh, interview that we can talk about it at another time. And I'll, I'll post that link because I know a couple of people know about it. So I'll post, uh, post the on transit, uh, transients later today. And what and is we'll talk about that, Christy. What is that again? What is that again? Uh, uh, that was where uh, Christy talks about these uh, structures about forestry and, and the importance of oh, hiking. That's right. That's right. We yeah. were going to talk about that today. We, we, we yeah. I tracked. We'll yeah. talk about that next week. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Another great subject. Another great subject. So. Oh yes, indeed. And and uh, I'd like to thank you for for Eric for putting up with my nonsense for the last two oh, hours. Oh, this was terrific, man! I really appreciate you including me with this. This was a this was a terrific day, absolutely terrific. I enjoyed that. Well, this is. I'm glad you did because I I like to think that it, it, every day for me is is this way, and that's it's just cool. It's just. Mm. There are so many neat people, but there's so much work to do. Um, that's that's what I get from all this. Is we've got a lot of great people, but there's so much, so much work to be done. There is a lot of work to be done. So, but anyway, 
Eric Hall, you're over there. Thank you for listening to everybody that's been listening to the show. And uh, it's 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 time for me to go take a nap now. So <laughs> I hope everybody has a great day. And uh, and thank you again for, for listening to us. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.